Welcome to the Exec MBA Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Twitty, and you are listening to a new episode. On this episode of the podcast, I'm excited to share my recent conversation with Taylor Bennett. Taylor is a graduate in our Executive MBA class of 2023, and he and I recently connected to talk more about his background, how he decided to pursue an MBA, what led him to Darden, the impact of his Darden experience, and so much more. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, here's my interview with Taylor Bennett. Taylor, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. Uh, happy early Thanksgiving. How's everything going? It's busy. It's very busy. All the family showed up. <laughs> Everything's got to get done right away. It's very busy. I can believe it. You're you're someone, when I think of, of you, uh, you always had a lot going on while you're in the program, very full uh, schedule. Thank you so much for uh, making time for the podcast. So uh, we'd start with the same first question. Tell us a little bit more about you. Who are you and what's your background? Uh, so I'm Taylor, yeah. Um, I live in Atlanta, but I'm originally from the St. Louis, Illinois area. Grew up in the cornfields of Illinois, but graduated high school in St. Louis and then migrated my way to Atlanta to attend Georgia Tech uh, out of high school. So I've basically been in Atlanta for the past, call it 18 and a half years on and off. Um, always been a Georgia resident, but I did a quick stint in Louisiana and a quick stint in uh, Stockholm, Sweden. Uh, but outside of that, I've, I've been in Atlanta the whole time. Um, and just three years ago, we were just talking about moving to the south side of Atlanta into a community called Serenby. It is like a, I would some in summary, I guess it's like a it's a biophilic like agriburb that was started by a family about twenty years ago. It sort of had a snowball effect during COVID, and uh, so we jumped down here and live down here now on the south side. So uh, I swore I would never leave the two eighty five perimeter of Atlanta, and now I'm swearing I'll never go back in. Um, but yeah, it's it's pretty nice. Yeah, it seems like a very Atlanta thing to benchmark to various highways, byways, the perimeter, outside the perimeter, yeah. inside the perimeter. <laughs> it sounds, it's very Atlanta, at least to me. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit more about your MBA journey. So you mentioned you spent some time in Louisiana, Stockholm, Sweden, and Atlanta for a while. How did you decide uh, that you wanted to pursue an MBA? It was definitely something I always wanted to do, but the timing of it was something that didn't make sense until you know, the the Darden experience finally came to fruition. I really wanted to do something outside of the Southeast as well. Um, I really was focused on the Northeast and the Mid-Atlantic. Um, and then, of course, after meeting you, you know, there was no other school that was possible in my decision tree. Um, you did a phenomenal job of selling Darden uh, right out of the gate. But it was important for me to find a community that was what I thought to be outside of my current network and current footprint. And so Darden just made a lot of sense, both logistically and what I was looking for in a program. Um, and then I also just really fell in love with the idea of, um, you know, the international component of Darden and the international residency, residency experience. That was something that was a big draw for me as well. Um, but it was, it was like a perfect combination of all the elements I was looking for in a program. What were you doing for work when you applied uh, to Darden? And what was your career progression to that point? So at that point, I, so I'm an attorney and I was been practicing law since 2013. 
And in 2017, I actually kind of hung up my cleats in that respect and went to work at a company called Focus Brands, which is a global franchisor of famous brands everyone's probably familiar with, like Cinnabon, Auntie Anne's, Jamba, Moe's, McAllister's, uh, Carvel Ice Cream for all those New Yorkers. But I went to go work there as VP of North America for development for those seven brands. Um, so I really wasn't doing exactly a lot of legal stuff in the literal sense, but it's a heavily regulated industry. And so having a legal mind was something that the company was looking for in that position. So I had started that journey and I was in that for about two and a half years before I felt like it was a good time to finally pursue my MBA, which I'd always wanted to do. So when I applied and got in uh, to Darn, I was actually still working at Focus Brands at the time. Um, and really the entire year that we waited before our class started, I was at Focus, but only two months before we started is when I actually ended up leaving Focus. Um, so that was what I was doing when I got into Darden and waiting for Darden to start for class of 23. I have a question for you as a lawyer. Um, we talk to lawyers who are thinking about an MBA, and I think sometimes what they wrestle with is the idea of going back to school after spending three years in, in law school and uh, doing two years in the MBA program. Um, how did you, was that something that you thought about? Was it something that was on your mind as you, as you thought about taking this step? Yeah, absolutely. Because my law school experience was um, a little bit different than most. I did a part-time night program. So I worked full-time during the day, school at night, three days a week from 6 to 9 p.m. Um, so it was a grind. And I think I was ready for another experience like that. Admittedly, I'd say that business school at Darden was more difficult than law school. Um, and the simplest way to put it was in law school, it really is just about reading, a lot of reading, and then applying that to like one test at the end of the course. Like that's pretty much what law school is. And I, in business school, it's like that plus a bunch of homework assignments and like actually quantitative stuff in between. And so I put a lot more credit to the business school rigor than I did the law school because of the extra stuff that has to get done in between the start date and final exam. Um, so while I was ready for it in my head in terms of a, another like full-time work, part-time school grind, um, I definitely underestimated the, the grind that it was. <laughs> Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I think Darden is known for being challenging. I think that's what attracts people to it, right? It's going to ask a lot of you, but for that reason, you get a lot out of it. What was that adjustment process like to being a, a Darden student, you know, coming to Darden, managing work, life school at the same time? Was it easier because you had had this law school experience? Was it harder because the two things were, were different? Uh, um, I'm curious. I, for me, my expectations were set like high. So like I knew what that was going to be like, but it still was also a little bit of a wake up call in the first couple months. And, but I think I just like kind of went back to the roots of like what I was kind of trained to do before. And it's like, okay, a lot of things are about to go out the window, like social stuff done, you know, like weekends. Now you're sitting in this office right here while my daughter plays on the playground out here in front of me, but I'm like in here getting my work done. So I think it was just a little bit of a realization that I was going to have to sacrifice some other things in the day-to-day -day life uh, to make sure I got that work done. But I think, you know, into Q2 
Q4, Q5 and stuff, it became a little bit um, easier to adjust and deal with because you knew what to expect and how to how to navigate it. And your learning teams were good at first. My learning team didn't work out very, we didn't exist very long, but I found refuge in some other learning teams that helped get me through some of those tough times because I, I didn't come in with a lot of quant experience. And so I needed a little bit more support in that regard. And that's mainly what I got out of some other learning teams and other folks in the program uh, was support through the quant stuff. Can we talk a little bit more about the quant aspect of the program? Like, what was it? Uh, what did you do with your you know, new learning teammates that helped you get comfortable with that? Because I know we have a lot of listeners who are looking at the curriculum, accounting, finance, decision analysis, yeah. those kinds of courses, and thinking, I don't have much background in any of that. How is this going to work? Yeah. So I guess this is advice for Darden. Always make sure that every class has like a mechanical engineer, an electrical engineer, a nuclear engineer from the Navy. And then like everybody else will be fine because like John Forbes ran tutor sessions for us. And like without John Forbes, I don't know if anybody makes it through half of the quant programs. Right. And then then you've got Rem and Claire who, you know, can show up and do a, a study session for one of the quant classes. And, you know, without them, like, I don't know where I would be. So, you know, the 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 quant side of the uh, of the courses. <laughs> Really, I give a lot of credit to to folks like Claire and and Forbes and Rem for for helping everybody through uh, some of those tough times. But we were really good as a class, not necessarily just a learning team, but as a class in hosting these tutor sessions and homework sessions and pre-final review stuff and recording things and and sending that out. And that really was, I think, what enabled folks like myself to, to at least keep up with uh, to be the caboose in the in the pack, if you will, on on the quad stuff. <laughs> well, I appreciate you noting that it's a full class endeavor because yeah. I mean, I think sometimes people think, oh, I'm going to be on my own or maybe just have a learning team. But it, honestly, there's full class review sessions. John Forbes, as you mentioned, was leading accounting, like tutoring sessions before classes on Fridays and weekend yeah. residency. Like I would see him come in. He had a whole bunch of people uh, there at his table. I mean, that's a great thing to see. So it's not just your learning team. It's, it's everybody uh, that, that can be helpful to you. Yeah, he could have he could have taken another tuition check from a lot of people if he wanted to on charging for those tutor sessions. <laughs> I appreciate that, um, fellow Georgia Tech alum. By the way, yes, um, I, we bonded quick, man. I I I, saw, I could feel the Georgia Tech in him from day one. I was like, okay, I got to stay close to this guy. <laughs> I, I can believe it. So uh, you get about eight eight to ten months into the program, uh, you start to feel a little bit uh, more settled. You mentioned around quarter four, quarter five, but just to help our listeners contextualize, it's almost to the half halfway point or so uh, for the program. It also sounded like from your story, you were also navigating a new job um, at that as you went through that first year. So that can be a tricky thing. So how how was yeah. that? Yeah, I think I may have the record for amount of jobs like while in your Darden Executive MBA experience. My career situation is is quite funny. I so you know, I was at Focus when I got in, left Focus before we even started. I think so I sent you guys like an updated, you know, uh, company sponsor letter. So then I moved over to a company called HOA Brands, which is the parent company for like Hooters of America. We had we just launched Hoots, which was a wing only concept under the umbrella of Hooters of America, and they had a bunch of other virtual brands that they were trying to launch and ghost kitchens and stuff. And this was all coming out of on the heels of COVID and how food concepts were going to evolve in the space. So I took a global chief development officer role with them. It was very exciting. You know, 
it was overseeing uh, the global aspects of that brand, which is, you know, an iconic 50 year old brand that is known literally in every corner of the world. Um, and I did that for a year. And then from, for some economic reasons around like the actual model of what we went there to start, um, chicken prices went through the roof. Our wing only concept, uh, didn't necessarily pan out. And I ended up taking a very uh, interesting job with Subway, um, as the global VP of, of non-traditional. So that is like everything you don't see on the street side, airports, malls, universities, travel plazas. That was a really neat experience um, as well, seeing that, um, you know, it was, it was a new brand. It was the largest brand in the world. Um, and, you know, we got to go eat fresh every day, which was a concept as a plant-based eater, I could actually eat. So that was probably the most exciting piece of that. And then, um, honestly, towards the end of Stardom, uh, I actually took an incredible opportunity with Yum Brands, uh, which is Taco Bell, Pizza Hut, KFC, as the chief development officer for the U.S. for Pizza Hut. So that's the long-winded way of saying it. I had a number of jobs through Darden. And um, through all of that, though, I was still able to maintain uh, at least the bare minimum uh, attention necessary to get through the program. Uh, with the support of a number of people in the program, so and professors uh, alike, yes. I want to come back to talk about your your current role, but I also want to ask you about about your family. If you have a lot, a lot going on at home, how, what how did you manage that as you were going through the executive MBA program? Yeah, so uh, family was very supportive um, of it. My daughter was very into it from day one. Um, you know, we got her on a very good routine of understanding that like, you know, we leave on Thursdays and I'm at school while she's at school. Um, you know, I come back, you know, Sunday night, Monday morning sort of thing, and I'm coming back from school. And so she really bought in and, and was very excited about the idea of, of daddy also being in school while she's in school. So that was fun. And then she had to experience it all. Um, finally at graduation, she had her UVA like cheerleading outfit on and she got to go through graduation and she walked with me. So she got to really uh, experience it from that angle and, and, uh, and finally like see what, everything that I've been doing for the last you know two years, really. That's always an, a special day. I think for us as, as staff members, we finally get to meet all these yeah. people who've been supporting the student, right? To meet sons and daughters and parents and partners, wives, husbands, all, all of this extended network of people who've been making it possible for the student uh, to be a Darden student. And, and I, I remember your daughter uh, from graduation and right there with you in, in the graduation line. That was, that was awesome. She was, she was great. I didn't think she would last that long. I had her up in the front row with me right after we got seated. She lasted maybe 30 seconds uh, up there. Um, and then, thank goodness, Joy Weber's husband is like a kid whisperer and somehow was able to wrangle her for the for the ensuing hour of graduation um, over there under the uh, under the the awnings or whatnot. So I, I lucked out on that one. Yeah, it's a, typically a very warm day in Charlottesville. <laughs> yeah. And it also has has the 
uh, aspect that is a very long day too, because every every so there's the main ceremony uh, at UVA, and then there is the Darden ceremony, uh, and then you have all the all the classes come through uh, who are graduating, and everybody gets called individually. It can be quite quite long, <laughs> and you're in polyester yes. or whatever material those things are made out of, and yes, it's a it's a very full full day, a full of emotion too. You know, it's obviously what everything's oh, yeah. been pouring towards. Very emotional day for sure, um, but totally worth it. All right, so let's talk about what you've been uh, what you've been doing at Young Brands. Um, tell me about uh, your role at you know focused on Pizza Hut. Uh, what what that looks like day to day. Yeah, so I I joined Pizza Hut on January 9th, um, and Pizza has they're structured as business units all over the world. So I didn't really do anything in the global context like I had done at Subway or even Focus or HOA for that matter. But Pizza Hut US is a very big business unit. You know, we all grew up on Pizza Hut. Um, about 5,500 is kind of 6,000 units across traditional, non-traditional. And um, it was just, you know, going over there, the idea from day one was the brand was going through a big transformation process. Uh, relatively new global CEO, Aaron Powell, um, Kimberly Clark alum, um, you know, came in and really had a big vision for Pizza Hut on a global scale. And so um, I bought in and started January 9th of uh, 23 and really took on a couple of the big projects that we were trying to get done out of the gate. And that was um, just fitting the U.S. business unit into the vision for the the global transformation of the brand. And, uh, you know, Yum and Pizza have done a great job of keeping what is otherwise a legacy iconic brand, you know, relevant in this new age and a very competitive age with a bunch of new pizza concepts and um, other types of brands that, you know, take market share away just simply because they exist um, and bringing the brand, you know, into the new age, the TikTok age really is what it is. So it's a pretty interesting experience uh, being in a company that large because that is the largest restaurant company in the world, um, publicly traded, market cap of like i don't know 65 billion or something I mean, it's it's a massive organization uh but it's impressive and it's it's filled with some of the most talented people um in our industry all around the world so pretty interesting and cool experience yeah i'm thinking about pizza i mean i watched college football nfl football this weekend uh super competitive uh for yes. for your your pizza dollar like i mean uh, how does how do you think about navigating something like that? Where you always have Domino's, Papa John's. You also have local options. You have more artisanal options. You have like, like it seems like there's competition in every single direction. Yeah, it's it is tough. Like, I think you know historically you had you know just a couple of pizza brands that you know really owned and operated in the space, but then as technology progressed and as you know, accessibility to start a new brand progressed and as regional brands could grow pizza, you know, is a, is a very low cost food product with relatively high margins. So it just invites the ability um, for competitors to come into the space. And so the pizza space exploded, right? So I think it's like pizza and then Mexican, like one and two in the, in the food industry in terms of like rank or it's like burgers, Burgers, pizza, Mexican, or burgers, Mexican, pizza, you know, two and three always change there. And so, you know, my role was really 
about bringing franchisees into the brand and building new buildings and designing the assets and getting them out of the ground and opening them up. So I didn't really have much to do with the food side of it or the marketing side of it really at all. I was just in the rooms listening to the experts talk on those topics. But it is fascinating to see just how intense and how aggressive you have to be in this space now uh, to remain relevant to the next thing that's got 100 million views on TikTok. Um, and it may not even be pizza. It may just be some other, like Mr. Beast is a great example of someone who has shown up in the space, really used non-branded food other than his name, um, and has generated hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue that's arguably taking market share away from existing brands. And so you have to compete not only with the brands that are competing directly against you, or the, but the other things that are out there fighting for those dollars. And that is a it's a fascinating fight to watch um, experts navigate daily. Um, pretty pretty wild, especially at that level. How do you feel like your Darden experience has been helpful to you in, in the work that you're doing? It's been helpful because I, I feel like I'm more um, equipped to sit in those rooms and have those conversations, at least understand and, um, the lingo and you know, the long-term vision of, of like why you do this or why you do that. And especially being at a publicly traded company, really, you know, most of all the decisions that you're making are through the lens of like how to increase, you know, customer satisfaction, product quality, and share price, right? Like of, of the, of the, of the share of the company, of the shares of the company. So, you know, you're, you sit in those rooms with, with Darden experience and education, you know, implanted in your brain and you're like, okay, now I actually can understand why this decision is being made or, I can provide this input or this perspective. Um, and so you actually don't feel like an imposter sometimes anymore. Like you can, you can actually be a part of the conversation because you sat through that accounting class. Um, you sat through that macro macroeconomics class um, and took away just enough uh, to, to pass the course, but <laughs> the, the ability to, to translate that into the real world, um, you know, is what allowed me to really participate in a way that I've never been able to participate. I appreciate that. I'll ask you a couple uh, more questions about your Darden experience uh, since you're here, yeah. you know, post post graduation. What was surprising uh, to you uh, about your your Darden experience? Maybe something that you didn't anticipate, or uh, something that that as you got into it, you're like, oh man, okay, this is uh, this is great. Oh, um, that's interesting. Something I didn't anticipate because I didn't have necessarily, I didn't have a lot of expectations for it, so I don't necessarily know that I was surprised by something but you said great so i'm trying to think what was i mean i thought what was great was i was surprised at how enriching the international experiences were um there were things that i didn't anticipate that we were going to be able to experience while being in morocco or spain you know that that we ended up being able to experience and that was incredible like going to morocco and going up into the islets mountains and meeting um, you know, locals and sitting on these cement floors for four hours and eating food with them and talking about their journey. Um, and, and like, that was not something I expected to do when I applied online through an internet portal to Darden. <laughs> so, but being able to experience that down the road was a, was a pleasant surprise because that was just something that um, I'll never forget. And, and it meant a lot to me and, uh, you know, impact me for the rest of my life is just hearing their testimony about, their journey is as you know local agricultural farmers in the mountains of Morocco like that's 
not going to find that at the local grocery store down the street in, in, in Atlanta. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm curious, you mentioned that this global aspect of the experience really appealed to you when you were doing your research. How many global residencies did you do? So I was signed up for four uh, and I, I was, I paid for four, but I only went on two because um, I had job interviews that crossed over for the other one. So like I was actually in flight to Australia when the Yum! Brands opportunity became real. And I actually had to get off that and fly to Dallas and leave the Australia trip in the middle of it before ever getting there. So not, not fun, <laughs> but it was an opportunity that like, you know, I couldn't like, like not do. So um, yeah, that was, that was that one that, that was tough because the Australia trip looked amazing. Um, but I'll go back one day. Wow, I did not know that story. So you get off the plane where? Okay. Connect LA and then go. And I was midway to LA when that thing unfolded. And I, I remember I emailed the Darden folks. I'm like, hey, I, I can't do this. I have to go back. <laughs> and I was a day ahead of like the trip. So like um it wasn't like that day that happened. Like I had a day gap before I was supposed to fly out to it. And so um, I had to pull the plug like that day. Yeah. All right. Well, L.A. to Dallas is not bad. It's some of the locations I was conjuring in my mind as you were no. as you were telling that story. Um, no, it's before I had to fly across the Pacific. Um, luckily. So I'm curious. You mentioned you went to Morocco. Obviously, had a tremendous experience visiting uh, these folks in the, in the Atlas Mountains. Something you wouldn't have expected. How about the global residency to Spain? Um, what stands out to you from from that trip? <laughs> stands out to me is that. Everything that you eat or drink in Spain has pork in it. I mean, I'm I'm a vegan, right? And so showing up in Spain trying to trying to uh, keep up with everyone eating was that was a journey. That was a straight journey. Um, I'll never forget how much of a struggle that was. But the Spain trip was neat. Barcelona was incredible. Um, I thought the program did a really good job of, of setting up in the middle of COVID because we were still in the height of like everyone taking precautions and all the tests. So given the limited ability to like, you know, freely schedule things the way that the program typically tries to do, uh, we were still able to get some things done uh, that made an experience that was, that was worth the trip. Um, granted a, a lot of the stuff that was originally planned wasn't able to happen, but they brought speakers to the hotel we did it in a conference room, so we were able to at least meet the speakers, but we didn't get to do a lot of the site visits that we had um, originally anticipated doing. Um, but nevertheless, it was just enough to make the experience really uh, wonderful. And I had never been to Spain, so seeing Barcelona, riding the train, you know, the countryside, and getting into Madrid was was really experience in and of itself. Uh, outside of the cool things that we got to do as a as a cohort so um that was pretty neat i i think the biggest takeaway for me was was barcelona and the port i didn't realize how impactful uh and what strategic you know the strategic purpose that the barcelona port has on that part of europe and north africa and the med so i thought that that was a really a breathtaking experience in understanding the impact that, that port has on that region uh, that was probably my biggest like business takeaway from 
from the trip to Spain. That's sort of a big picture question for you here. Um, when you think about the impact of your Darden experience, we talked a little bit about how uh, you call on your Darden experience in your day to day, but like big picture, what do you think is the impact of your Darden experience? Um, it definitely, uh, I mean, it created a different perspective. I always thought law school created a certain perspective for me and how to view life. Now I feel like the business school experience created this other perspective for me. Um, of how to view life and 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 business and everything that we do, but the broader impact for me is that it created a, a network for me personally that was what I'd set out to do from the beginning of our conversation. Was like I wanted a network that was not Atlanta, and so the impact for me is like I I have been to I don't know two dozen cities right since we've graduated, and I feel like every city I can go to now, I'm calling someone that was part of Darden. Um, visiting them, dropping in, saying hi. So you can go to Los Angeles, you can go to Seattle, you can go to San Francisco, New York, Dallas. All those cities have Darden people in it from our cohort. Um, and so as we get into the alumni phase of this, we're only going to meet people uh, from other classes and that network's going to get bigger and bigger. And so the broader impact um, for me has been that I'm just able to create a, a more powerful network um, whether it's professionally or even socially moving forward um, that I had never had before because before it was Georgia Tech and law school here in Atlanta. And so that network is really rooted here uh, in the Southeast and, and specifically Atlanta, but the Darden network really broadened that and has impacted me in a very positive way. So I'm very excited about what's to come and being able to lean into that aspect of, of being a graduate. You mentioned this idea that that Darden kind of gave you this new perspective. Uh, I'm curious, how would you describe the perspective that you came away with? Yeah, some of the non-quant classes, like, you know, you had like, uh, you know, the entrepreneurial thinking class, you had, um, you know, the, the, the venture capital class. We had some of the classes with Andy that were fascinating discussions around ethics, uh, morality, uh, you know, the comparison I'll make back to the law school pieces of it is like, you know, in the legal world, you're always trained to just like be an advocate for one side or the other. But I thought what business school did, it wasn't necessarily advocating one side or the other. It was more of like making sure that you were viewing the perspective of the whole thing together. So it wasn't necessarily ad from a from a zealous advocacy perspective. It was more of like, can you sit in a position that gives you perspective of the whole sphere of the discussion? And so some of those classes, especially with Andy, were like just mind-blowing discussions around what you think are just typical day-to-day -to -day topics but when you really dig into them and with his facilitation on those lessons like you really see that these these issues go much deeper much wider and further than you ever expected another wonderful incredible classes with kim whitler over the break we did that accelerated class in the, in the winter break last year and that was so timely for everyone because it was we're at the peak of whether or not corporations should be engaged in advocacy, you know, in, in the marketplace. And her course was just an incredible discussion. Uh, about 30 people attended around whether or not companies should do it and how to do it if you did it. And, you know, we studied the Disney um, case and, and some other cases that were really relevant at the time. And that is what that impact has been the more broader impact on me uh, from the Darden experience than anything is, is how to view situations 
from every perspective, not just from an advocacy or a zealot advocate perspective that I was trained to do uh, for the past decade. And I assume that's her marketing leadership class uh, that you took. Is that right? That's correct. That was Kim's marketing leadership. Yeah. How did you determine which of this comes up a lot? Prospective students uh, look at the electives that we have. We have over 40 electives that students can choose from in the executive MBA program. I think sometimes people come to this part of the program thinking like you almost have to declare a major or focus in a particular area. There's no pressure to do that here at Darden. Um, you can kind of pursue whatever interest you might have. How did you pick your electives? Um, How did you think about that part of the program? Um, I picked the electives around, I did have a plan. I wanted to be more quant heavy. I was after a financial and sort of real estate investment theme, but in the executive program, you're obviously limited to what is offered because of the scheduling. So I was very meticulous about picking classes that fit within that theme, but knowing that I wasn't going to get all of them. And then my second thing was just reading up on the professors and like what they had taught and kind of what their, you know, their shtick was. And so that's, I was more in with respect to Kim or Andy's classes was more of like, is this person going to be super interesting for the next quarter uh, to be engaged with? And so the class write-ups and then of course the research you do on the professors, you know, that that's what kind of attracted me to taking some of the courses that I did. But my first initial filtering was, was through the lens of trying to enhance my quant uh, skill set. So I took like pricing, you know, some people took, you know, how to be a consultant. Uh, and I took, you know, probably regretfully took pricing, which was a tough class. I loved it. I didn't think I got a very good grade, but I absolutely loved it. Yeah. Fair amount of math and in pricing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, also a marketing class. Um, I think it's all about Ron Wilcox. So Taylor, while we're on the topic of electives, I think you did an independent study with some of your classmates. Is is that right? I did. Yeah, we elected to do a independent study. It took us a while to get approved, but we did a independent study. It was uh, Amy, Joy, and Nate and I, and we took on a challenge of effectively helping Nate come up with a move, kind of a go forward strategy for him and. Um, his wife's restaurant concept that they created in Birmingham, which I think everyone knows at this point, real and Rosemary. So we took that on um, and Luca was our sponsor for it. Um, and so we were trying to kind of bring together three topic areas, strategy and marketing and uh, and pricing and stuff all together in one, one shoot. So it was, it was interesting. We did a field trip to Birmingham, which was fun and of itself. Um, and then a couple more things that we undertook to get to the final deliverable, but it was pretty neat to be able to kind of combine personal and, um, school in one project and help Nate and Jennifer out, just kind of get a vision together for their, for their concept moving forward. So I'm always curious, how, how do these independent study ideas come together? How did the four of you decide that this is something you wanted to work on? I honestly couldn't tell you where. I know we're, I mean, Nate and I had always been collaborating like from day one because we both work in this, you know, restaurant, QSR, fast casual space. So we had always had discussions about his business and, and what to do or not. I think, I, I couldn't tell you how Joy and Amy got wrapped up into this with us. Um, maybe it's because Amy went to Primrose and started getting into franchising and wanted to learn a little bit more and then 
Joy was maybe just kind of the glue that kind of finally said, hey, let's actually do this. Um, so I think that's kind of how it came together. Um, but it was, I would say, mainly driven by Nate and I as common denominator that we're both in the space. And, um, you know, it's also one of those things, too, where, like, you're trying, you know, we have a classmate who actually runs a business and we're in business school. And so, like, why wouldn't you want to take everything that we've learned to try and apply it to someone who's literally sitting next to you in class and honestly their livelihood depending on the future and success of that business so I think that's also what drove the emotional aspect it was like we wanted to help Nate take his restaurant to the next level and um, and that's sort of what was the motivating component there I know independent studies have become more popular with executive MBA students as elective options um, what did it look like as y'all were working on uh, this project? Did y'all have regular meetings? Did you meet with Luca regularly? I kind of want to bring people into this process as this has become more popular with executive MBA students. We, like I said, it took us a while to actually get approved because we kept having to go back and iterate the application for it to make sure that it checked all the curriculum boxes for the, I guess, the the breadth of what it needed to entail to get the credit. So. We actually spent a lot of time rewriting what we were going to do, uh, and we finally got approved, and and Luca was our sponsor, but it was mainly driven around strategy, um, you know, the strategy frameworks that we learned from like Snell's class, um, and then pricing and marketing uh, to understand how to better position Nate's concept, not only just in the Birmingham market, but in the broader like Southeast region. And that's where I think we were able to finally have success with the application was, you know, we were looking to develop a go forward strategy for Nathan to grow the restaurant and the brand beyond the four walls of Birmingham and their Homewood location and to look at Nashville and, and Atlanta and Chattanooga and, and also like other channel products that they could merchandise through the Real and Rosemary, like trademark and intellectual property. So that's, I think, where we were able to finally get approval on it uh, was the combination of, of, of all those components of his brand in one. Uh, and then we took off. And then the first thing we did was, like I said, we took a field trip to Birmingham. So Amy and Joy flew you know, into Atlanta. Um, and I think actually that was, yeah, it was. That was actually when Amy was interviewing with Primrose. So she was in the middle of like her new job interviews in Atlanta. Um, and I remember we picked her up at a gas station on the side of like some state highway that like an Uber driver dropped her off at. And then we jumped on the interstate and drove to Birmingham. It was it was definitely a road trip uh, style exercise. But we ended up going to Birmingham. We we toured all the restaurants. We you know tasted all the food. We met a lot of the staff. And then we just sat with Nate and Jennifer and kind of went over all the visions and desires and goals that they had for the brand. And then we you know, took that back and got to work. And then the remaining pieces of that was just a cadence of meetings and exercises to, you know, generate the final deliverable, uh, which we turned in and we're very proud of. And and to be, um, like to celebrate all this, just a few weeks ago, Nate sent us pictures of them launching one of the products that we had suggested that they launch during the holiday season. And that is um, the sort of prepackaged coffee syrups that Jennifer and Nate make from scratch in their restaurant. 
And when we toured the restaurant and we kind of got the feel that there was like this chemistry lab in the basement and Jennifer was playing with all these flavors, we had suggested that they sort of package these things up and actually sell them during the holidays uh, for people literally to put on their counters in their kitchens and be able to, you know, put in their coffee, uh, you know, these flavored syrups, you know, the best sellers that they have. And, and they finally actually were able to get that off the ground and they started doing that just a couple of weeks ago. So that was kind of neat to see an actual you know, manifestation of, of some of the ideas that we had sort of generally put together for the independent study. Do you think this is something that you'll continue to stay engaged with? Now, obviously, you graduated now, but I know you and Nate are close, and I'm sure you keep in touch with Joy. And Amy, do you think this is a storyline you'll, you'll continue to follow? Oh, yeah, we're still very engaged. I mean, if you had told me that I was going to take a half a dozen trips to Birmingham, Alabama, uh, as a result of going to business school, I would have told you you were crazy. I would I would have said I would have ended up in Morocco more often. Um, but I have been to Birmingham now more times than I can count than I ever thought I'd be. But um, we have a very uh, regular cadence about what to do next uh, with this brand. I mean, we have gone so far as to have a private equity group um, come. We, My mom and I actually drove down there. We met with Nate and Jennifer again, this private equity group out of uh, out of Huntsville, uh, and we're just kind of looking to see what paths that we can take to get uh, the real Rosemary brand, you know, built and expanded in some you know cities that are kind of concentrically growing out of Birmingham. So we've definitely taken material steps to move forward, um, and we just we're going to continue pushing and, and seeing what we can get done here, and, and hopefully it makes sense for for Nate, Jennifer, and the brand, and then course what we want to do with it but like I personally want to help and assist and, and be a part of the growth because I think that that particular restaurant concept um, given all the things that I know about you know fast casual dining and the franchise business and the restaurant business uh, they check a lot of boxes that uh, indicate you know long-term success and growth for a brand so I personally will be bugging Nate as long as I can, as long as he'll allow me to, to help grow the brand and be a part of it. Yeah, su super interesting because you got your full-time job. Would you classify this as like a side hustle or just are you pulling for your classmate? Like, how do you think about your engagement here with Real and Rosemary and, and the continuation of the work that you started with this independent study? Yeah, I, I mean, it is sort of a side hustle thing. You know, I mean, like a lot, of, it's not like we're doing much. I mean, Nate and Jeff are the ones that are in there every day running the restaurant. The stories that they have, I don't know if Nate's done this podcast before, and I hope he has. Okay, because um, I mean, the stories that they that they have to deal with on a day to day basis running those restaurants is hilarious. I mean, there needs to be like a documentary um, film crew following them around. So I tip my hat to them. I mean, they do ninety nine percent of all this legwork, um, but the one percent of it is like just being able to take our knowledge and, and kind of giving it to them and assisting them um, as they you know, wake up every day and are, are focused on inside the four walls of the business. If we can provide just 1% of support, you know, for the outside thinking, um, you know, to say, hey, if, if we were to go do these two things, we could grow the brand uh, a little bit more outside here and kind of keep pushing their dreams and goals forward for the brand. That's sort of the role that I feel like that we're playing right now. And, um, you know, if we can land some investment and land some other strategic partnerships, then, you know, maybe this thing does become a full-time you know, opportunity for even myself um, or others that want to be a part of it. I know, you know, there's some other classmates that are in this space too. Um, 
you know, that would probably be very, you know, helpful in, in, in a long-term, you know, vision for Real and Rosemary to grow it. Um, but for right now, we're just kind of putting it just, we need like two more pe uh, puzzle pieces to be put in place. And then we'll actually be able to really like hit the gas on this thing. Yeah, it's super interesting to hear you talk about this because I remember meeting Nate as a perspective student, and this was something that was very much on his mind. Uh, you go back two, three years ago, uh, he was yeah. very much thinking about this. So it kind of come full circle and, you know, things that you don't know when you start an MBA program, you got these classmates who are interested in being engaged and helping you uh, advance, advance your concept, advance uh, this idea that you have. Yeah, I remember the second sort of coffee chat that you hosted, he was in it. And I remember him introducing himself and saying he was in this space. Of course, I quickly Googled him. And we both played college football. We both played at the same time. We have a lot of the same like friends. He played with old teammates of mine. So we had a lot of synergy. And I remember thinking in that second coffee chat, I'm like, oh, this is probably why I was supposed to go to business. I'm supposed to meet Nate and we're going to grow this brand that I've never heard of in Birmingham together. I can't wait to meet this guy. So it, it is kind of interesting to see it come full circle um, like that. And I was, and, and him and I have obviously been very close to the whole program and maintain our friendship uh, throughout. So uh, if we can get this thing off the ground um, in the way that we've sort of envisioned, the way the independent study, you know, articulated that we wanted to do, uh, it would definitely be like a cherry on top for, for this whole experience. I know you mentioned you're still waiting on a couple of pieces to maybe click into place, but like, I'm, I'm sure you and Nate talk all the time of like what, what success might look like here. Is it is a fair question to ask what you'd like to see next? You've got this like seasonal product you're you're trying out. Um, are there any other things that we could potentially look forward? In, in yeah, the I think what we're I mean, we've, we've pretty much because of the independent study and some of the um, technology that we that I personally had access to to help sort of formulate uh, market forecasting for like what markets would be really uh, synergetic to the real and rosemary brand how many like how many locations can chattanooga take how many locations can atlanta take um you know where in nashville do you go do you go to charleston you know uh these southern hospitality towns that real and rosemary uh, fits right into and we have all that mapped out and really the next step in that process was honestly taking down an investment that allowed us to propel that um that growth that we needed so you know, we are in very deep discussions with a, a PE firm that specializes in early stage, um, you know, startup like franchise like concepts, and they're actually based uh, coincidentally in Huntsville, Alabama. So that was not by design; that was total chance that we had found somebody in Alabama. And of course, when we did our Birmingham meeting with them, I mean, it took two seconds for Nate and this guy to connect the dots on seven people that they knew, you know, the same. I'm like, okay, of course, you know, yeah, we're in Alabama. Everyone knows everyone. And what we're in the exercise right now of doing is figuring out the size of investment that we think we'd be willing to take, you know, for what equity. Um, and, you know, does the PE firm have the capability of bringing, you know, not only just the investment, but some of the other support mechanisms that we would need uh, to the table to make the whole thing work and uh, this all honestly happened in the past 30 days that we were able to put that together so we're literally like in the middle of it right now uh trying to iron that out um and if we can get that done you know the next you know month or so like i could see in 2024 there being you know a world in which we have you know maybe one or two more real and rosemary's out of the ground um in a new city um, and finally taking you know the real and rosemary brand um potentially out of Alabama and continuing on its Southeast region, you know, path. 
Well, if that does happen, we're going to have to have you and Nate back on the podcast to, to talk about all of this because I'm super excited. I mean, to me, it's such a great example of the connections people make yeah. uh, in this program, right? So you come here, you didn't even know each other, but you find out you have all these things in common. You have a shared connection around what you do uh, for work and your professional interests. And next thing you know, you're working on this together. Yeah, it is that we really leaned into that. I mean, the other piece of it too is like Amy, you know, went to Primrose and my mom used to be the VP of development at Primrose. And so when Amy applied to Primrose, I called my mom like, hey, and my mom, we're franchisees of Primrose. So my mom is a Primrose franchisee now. It's like she left the corporate side, went on the franchisee side. So my mom was like writing, you know, given all the kudos and endorsement of Amy during her interview process, you know, with Primrose. So again, like to your point, like there was just so many connections um, that we were able to forge with just being in the executive program at Darden. And these relationships are going to extend forever. I mean, I, I text Amy all the time about Primrose stuff. Um, you know, I'm out at a conference last week in Las Vegas. Uh, and I, you know, Garrett Ramsey's there because he's in this space. So <laughs> we're just constantly uh, intertwining our, our professional lives, uh, out, out in the wild. Yeah, it's crazy to think about just the statistical probability of something like that. Like there's 130 odd people in a class. Like what are the chances, yeah. uh, of something of these kinds of connections happening? I mean, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure, um, that Caraway would love us to do a case on that. Uh, but I'm not sure that I got what I needed out of that to, uh, to be able to perform for him like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is a crystal ball, Excel, <laughs> any kind of decision analysis, modeling tool, free podcast. We, we do not, we do not engage <laughs> with that. Well, thank you so much, Taylor, for your time uh, today. It's great catching up with you as always. Congratulations uh, on, on your role at, at Young Brands. Tell me things are going, going well uh, there and um, always great to talk with you. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks, Brett. And that was my interview with Taylor Bennett, a graduate in our executive MBA class of 2023. As always, if you have any comments, suggestions, requests, anything you'd like for us to cover here on the podcast, we're all ears. We can be reached at exec at exec, mba.darden.virginia.edu. Till next time, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening.